Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, David Hickey, Managing Director of Hickey & Associates, discusses trends in financial incentives. Thanks, David, for talking with Cornet Global today. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Here's my first question. What are the major trends you're seeing with incentive policy in the United States today? So that's a great question, and 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 you know part of one of the the major facets of incentives, um, and and the way that the policies are developed and the programs are really put into place is to drive economic development, to drive job creation and capital investment um, across the U.S. You know most of these policies are driven at the state level, uh, but then further down to the local level as well. It comes in lots of different forms between income tax credits to cash grants to, um, to withholding tax exemptions, and the list goes on. Uh, but ultimately what we're continuing to see is, is, uh, is targeting of these incentive programs that are driven to getting the type of jobs, the type of economic development that the state, the community is driving for. What does that mean? It means, it means looking at certain industries, whether it's at manufacturing or, or software development services, you know, type of roles and in, in, in that across the board, um, but then also the types of jobs. So maybe it's minimum wage thresholds um, that in order to capture the incentive that you need to hit, that you need to have certain wage levels to do that. You need to have certain commitments as well. Uh, and we're continuing to still see that, see these um, elements of, you know, in order to capture the full incentive, you need to hire and, and retain that job for that role for three, five years, whatever that term might be. Um, we're also seeing uh, major centers on transparency, the return on investment. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure this is a topic we'll probably cover uh, more in depth as well. But that's really, you know, the understanding of, of so that the taxpayer, you know, can have that. What is my money being spent on? What, what is it being invested in when it comes to these different incentive programs, these partnerships that are out there between the community and the business? And, and are we getting that investment back? for putting out that money for, um, you know, to help a company create certain jobs. Are those jobs being created? Is that economic impact actually coming back? And then what we're also seeing, which has been a fascinating trend of late this past year in 2019, and we'll continue to see this, is on leveraging federal programs at the state level. So one thing that's common out there, we're hearing about opportunity zones, um, what we're actually seeing is, is states that are then taking those opportunity zones as they are pre-designated, um, area that's just actually going into more depth later, but um, as uh, these zones are identified and predesignated as an area that for economic development and, and growth, and, and as they're targeted, but actually creating state and local programs that can also be leveraged by companies that are going in. These, these zones, these programs are not the easiest, they're complex, so frankly, they're not even fully on the books yet, um, but these are areas that are pre identified, and so leveraging other incentive opportunities that a company that a business may be able to take advantage of as well. Right, okay. Well, since we're talking about public funds and the tax base and so forth, uh, we do hear about transparency and taxpayer ROI. What, what do those truly mean in the context of incentives today? It's a, it's a great question, and this is certainly one that is evolving at different levels. Um, across the U.S. and really around the world of, of what transparency really means, what return on investment is. And, and th there is a, a, a line of uh, challenge for a number of companies when it comes to 
the proprietary business models of their private, um, perhaps it's employee or customer information that, you know, we need to make sure can, can stay controlled and stay protected, especially in a time of, of privacy and, and concerns um, that, that surround that area. But what we're really talking about transparency and the way this is going is, is to ensure that with the commitments that are being made by the community, uh, by the state, by the utility, whatever that might be, um, is open and is understood. So for the agreement to create 500 jobs at a certain wage level and make a certain um, amount of capital investment, that's what the commitment the community um, is making, that the taxpayer dollar is going to. And then that is obviously then the commitment the company is making back to the community that they're going to make in order to make that partnership to make those incentive programs work. And, and it's about the ability to then track and make sure that um, is the company meeting those goals? Are those commitments being met? And, you know, if so, what, what is that return on investment? You know, what is that economic impact? Are those impacts that were um, perceived at the beginning and, and forecasted through this project, you know, are some of those being met and in place? It, it, it creates, there's definitely an evolution. We are taxpayers, Tim, you and I, ourselves, of course, we want our tax dollars you know, being spent in the most reasonable um, and, you know, the most appropriate way. Um, and incentive programs, economic development investment is, is certainly one of those, um, you know, tools and, and best uses for taxpayer dollars. But are, you know, it, it, are we actually getting that return on investment? And that's where a lot of this transparency comes to. So what we're seeing across the country are databases, um, different elements, different programs are reporting perhaps on an annual basis to a, to a state legislature, um, showing what these programs are, what, what, those, what those commitments might be. Um, but the important element, again, is and as we, we, we work together um, into the future, is making sure that, again, that proprietary information, that privacy of information of employers, customers, and the like, um, are still able to be controlled. And, and perhaps you know, some of that is when the legislator, a lawmaker, uh, uh, economic developer is is working through the project process to prove out to the community due diligence on the on the company on the, the project on the scope um, but is also um, you know so, so continuing to protect a lot of that again proprietary information uh, but also allowing that needed sunshine on many of these programs there are a number of incentives can be leveraged very successfully very appropriately and you know a true partnership and value across across the community um, but, you know, making sure that they are put to best use and, and they're utilized appropriately, that's where sunshine really is, and that's what we're seeing when it comes to the transparency and, and return on investment provisions. Exactly. Okay. Now, if you could point to a single greatest challenge with incentives today, what would that be? Yeah, that's a... <laughs> A, a great question. Um, I, I think uh, as well, I, I think uh, some of it is just a, a misunderstanding um, of, of what the true value and impact um, can be of incentives. Um, you know, they're not, and they shouldn't be leveraged as, you know, there's no such thing as free lunch. Um, you know, as uh, the way that we look at incentives and the way that we work with our clients, you know, incentives are, are a piece of a very, very large location strategy and decision process about where's the most optimal location for the business today and into the future. Incentives are a piece of it because depending on where that um, 
that site, the delta, all the different elements that come into a project decision, creating a partnership and working with the community, um, with the academic community, with the, the local transportation, uh, with the workforce board, um, the utility, all the different stakeholders that come into part of it. And that's what incentives really are, what they should be. Is there a partnership across all between the community and, and the company, this, the business as, as they want to go forward and as they look to make their investments to create, to retain jobs into the future? Um, uh, unfortunately, sometimes that message isn't always delivered right. There, of course, there are bad actors out there, um, you know, in the space, both sides, on all sides of the elements, and, and being able to have those protocols of transparency elements, as mentioned in the last question, um, you know, being able to have those and ensuring those are so that the, the taxpayers, the, the constituents um, of the different community that, that are leveraging these funds, um, these dollars, these future dollars, you know, are, are deployed in the right manner and in a confident way. And then that true impact that is created by these, these projects, um, you know, are really put out um, and utilized effectively and understood. I, you know, at HQ2, um, I'm based here in Brooklyn, just, just here in New York City, was one that, you know, it, it was a lot of, it wasn't so full filled with facts when it came down to a lot of the, the controversy that surrounded it up here. And, and not taking a position on it either way, but, but there certainly was some element of, you know, how was this money being allocated and special to, to Amazon and, and, you know, and, and to the, the, this and that. Um, but a lot of it, and one thing that wasn't so told as, as well as it needed to be was, it was post-performance. And, you know, the, a company that was coming into Long Island City and they were creating jobs at $150,000 average each. They were making an investment of the time, two and a half to $5 billion um, in, in the community. Any company doing that would have been able to get those jobs or get those incentives and some of those tax credits um, awarded to them. And, and however, you know, that was only going to happen if it actually happened. And they created right. those jobs. And they, they did make those investments. And that was part of the loss, too, is these weren't just dollars that were taken from somewhere else but towards it, but would be invested as part of the overall incremental value. In the same way that a lot of property tax abatements and TIF funding that's delivered at a local level around the United States and, and a true economic development tool is in that same way. And those incentives are never actually leveraged unless the project happens and to help that confidence and, and that for rights of that project. And so I, I would say that is the greatest challenge of just a misunderstanding and of, of how some of it works and, um, you know, and how these programs and, and the true economic impact that can come from incentives. But of course, getting that confidence back within, with the taxpayers, with, with constituents and in that power can be, is important for a lot of us and, and on all sides of the table to help educate and, and to help um, inform, uh, you know, all different parties, again, what value these different tools and, and these resources can for economic development and, and job growth. Right. Well, certainly incentives are often hotly debated in the public arena, and they do get politicized at times, and so uh, uh, those are all great points you make there. So when evaluating incentives, what would you say are some of the key factors uh, to consider? Yeah, when looking at incentives, it, it is, it is it, again, as mentioned earlier, it's an important part of the overall location strategy and location decision process. Incentives are never going to make a bad location a good location, um, but it's more of the, the overall process. And again, how can in the community leverage their, um, 
their resources and dollars to help you know create a project and, and a community development effort you know that would best be for the long run whether it's workforce development it's infrastructure it's you know future talent pipeline whatever that might be um, but when a company is coming in and really evaluating what is that value there's a, there's a number of factors so one is certainly um, what is the overall value of that incentive and, and I say that in part you know mentioning you know if it's an income tax credit at a state level you know understanding whether or not the company even does your business have a state tax liability um, you know to do that and a number of states have come around and created um, ahead of it you know, the ability to refund or to transfer um, tax credits and things along those lines to create more value um, but understanding what is that value and 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 mentioning on the the uh, post-performance versus pre-performance you know what is that how does that affect the project and the company going forward on, on when it's delivered um, but then it's also very critical to understand what are those risks what is the risk of the incentive to, of that incentive to the company and and really what overall that means is, is what are the commitments that are being made and it, and it isn't one and, and not to advise on not making these commitments um, because it's, it's part of the process and part of us but but what is the company when they're making a commitment are they committing to 100 jobs at a certain wage level to understand you know, what is that time frame that those jobs need to period and what is the retention period because it, no one can predict the future and truly understand um, what the economy is going to do in, in six months from now let alone three five years and beyond and so it's, it's trying to work with as a company work with the different stakeholders on the community and, and the state and, and other um, parties involved to truly understand what are you committing to um, when going into the program and, and to fully uh, uh, to, to capture the incentive opportunity um, to then work with what is going to be the best because perhaps just you, that commitment is, is going to be and so don't go to that level or, or to look at other ways to potentially structure it um, and so it's really understanding what is the value uh, of the incentive to the business and how does it work and how can it best fit uh, the company and, and what are some of the needs of the business too say training programs workforce development programs are an incredible tool that are out there resource um, from the federal state local levels um, to leverage and, and those needs and, and those trainings especially upskilling true win-win um, for uh, the overall partnership and then what are the risks as well so understanding again what are the commitments and what are the time frames what are the potential clawbacks you know, that might be in place um, if things were to change if, uh, if certain factors and, uh, and perhaps the project didn't ultimately go as it was planned right okay now, David, your company recently produced a nice comprehensive report on incentives, and in that report, the statistic has shown that 72% of incentives agreed to were never actually received. Uh, what's driving that? So as mentioned earlier, there, there's no such thing as free launch. And when it comes to incentives, um, and, and a lot of the traditional programs around uh, the country and, again, around the world, uh, incentives are not uh, – there's a reporting process. There is the due diligence that um, on the, the community stakeholders and, and whether it's a state entity, a, a county, local, whatever it might be, uh, a process to um, ensure, as I mentioned earlier, say it's a job commitment, that those jobs that have been committed to as part of the program and the agreement are actually created. And so um, part of that is what we call compliance or aftercare administration of these incentives, would have, which is what happens after um, a project is agreed to. So many of the time, the, the 
almost three quarters of those incentives that are awarded or agreed to and not actually received, the vast majority of that is because of just, um, you know, many companies not having the protocol, the resources um, to put in to file these reports or even to, to necessarily capture the data that's necessary, say again, it's a payroll report, a quarterly payroll report that needs to be submitted to a county um, officer. It, that just putting that process in place and pulling the report and all that, it does take some time. And so it's part of that early on understanding and even part of the risk assessment is what is it going to take to actually receive the steps to secure the benefits later down the road. And coming back, in the community, you, you'll often find many of our friends at Connect to Mobile community that don't want a company to fail, of course. They don't want incentives necessarily to be clawed back. They want these programs to work so that the companies, well, they work, right? So you have the job security, you have that capital investment made. And, and so w working alongside with the economic development partner, sometimes there's little that they can do um, when you have certain, um, you know, if a report was not filed on time, but you will find more often than not that these economic developers and our, our partners really want to help the companies, you know, be successful and of course, you know, leverage these programs more. So any, so a recommendation really on this front for our, um, for end user friends, um, around the country and really around the world is to understand as you are working through the incentive process um, to really begin to understand, okay, well, what are these after the project starts, after we, we execute the contract and the agreement, what are we going to need to do from here on out to make sure that, you know, we, we can actually get receive these incentive dollars, uh, these resources. And so beginning that process of understanding kind of a roadmap per se of what it's going to take to do that um, and to be able to build that. We have a, a proprietary patent tool that our clients can use to, to manage and to go through that process uh, because it is a difficult challenge. And again, not this administering incentives is, is not you know, necessarily the uh, what they have, what our what our clients have built in and their operational model. And um, and so creating this, so finding ways to, to develop methods internally, best practices is to be able to do that into the future. And sometimes that's at the corporate home office or it's at the plant or you know, at a, at a satellite office, wherever that might be delivered is best for the company. Sure, okay. Now, you mentioned the HQ2 uh, project a few minutes ago, David, and obviously a big, big project like that attracts a lot of interest and uh, potentially a lot of incentives. But on the other end of that scale of that spectrum, is there a minimum project scope for pursuing incentives? That's a terrific question. There is not. So we get this question actually quite often. Um, from clients and, and partners alike is, you know, is there a certain threshold? So it definitely depends on where the geography is, what the project type is, you know, what what type of zone or site you might be looking at um, in the realm. But there are incentives that are created and, and are um, developed exclusively for smaller projects, um, for smaller investments. Maybe may not be as um, applicable for a very large company. Um, to be able to, to capture or utilize, but there are an incredible amount of programs um, around the world that are, are dedicated to small, medium-sized businesses or small, medium-sized enterprises, as, as uh, referred to outside the U.S., um, that are targeted specifically for these uh, these size companies and these investments. Um, again, they may not be on the, the very large, certainly not on, on some of the numbers we're looking at for an HQ2 type project. Um, but it is more many times very targeted to the needs of, of some of these companies, especially in a 
in a start or startup or ramp up type of mode. I just saw today, um, yeah, I think it was 50 million or so pounds allocated to a new funds in Birmingham in England that is dedicated to uh, these SME type of businesses to invest. And sometimes it's just you know some startup support, um, loan financing, uh, angel investing, things along those lines. But other times it, it can be leverage for infrastructure and other elements too. I, I I really think when we talk about incentives, we are talking about again these partnerships, these opportunities to 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 build together with the community and the company for the future and, and to build that and, and it's in everybody's best interest to do so. So even sometimes if it doesn't seem like a project is is um, maybe to that size and scope, still developing that partnership can can create incredible synergies and you know maybe find some of those resources. The skills that we could, I'm sure you'll have of several more podcasts on just the, the skills struggles that, and you know, the, the uh, full employment situation that uh, we have across the world today. And you know, just even being able to find talent, one of those great ways is through these partnerships. If, you know, let's say you're looking for a certain skill, a welder is often one of the best starters, or certain kinds of engineers, a partnership with a community uh, entity, a workforce development board, academics, um, community is, is important, and, and many of those are uh, the types of incentives as well that we're looking at with our clients and, and helping secure, and, and outside of just maybe you know, some of those large uh, monetary figures. Right, okay. Now, going back to Europe for a moment, how do incentives work in Europe in comparison to the United States? Yeah, so in Europe, it, it, is, a different, it is a different approach. You still have many of the tax credit type programs or property tax relief, business rate relief, as, as called in, in the UK. Um, you have workforce development programs, infrastructure assistance, um, you know, certain different ways, discretionary cash grants that can be deployed across, across the region and across the continent. Um, but one of the sharp differences is, is that in the US, it is a very competitive state versus state community versus community, you know, even within that state. If you choose to you know, say, uh, or, or, okay, we're going to go to Florida, then it's what city are we going to go to Florida? And then you say, okay, we're going to go to Orlando, and it's which county do you go to Orlando? And the incentives right. are, are different, mm-hmm. and they differentiate. And so it's, it's all about understanding. Well, in Europe, it is, um, it, there is this federal, per se, entity in the European Commission that actually sets the rules and the guidelines for how incentives can be delivered by the member states. So, um, and, and basically the, the quick rule of thumb is the higher the economic disparity of a particular region, um, so the, the, the lower the economic um, status versus the overall EU GDP average, the more incentives the country, the investment promotion agencies can provide a project. And they call it, it's based on aid intensity, so it's, it's how much of the investment um, is available. So if it's uh, 10% uh, is the aid intensity, as they would say, of, say, a, a $10 million project, then at 10%, the investment promotion agency can provide up to a million dollars, or a million euro in this case, for that particular project. There's many more details that go in the mix of that. But that is the basic terms. The member states you know, can utilize what the thresholds they have in, in different ways, and coming back to targeting their incentives to the industries, to the sectors, the, the people, the, the jobs they want to target it at, 
um, and even some of the mechanisms and the, and the schemes that they can use. But ultimately, that level of incentive that they can provide is dictated by European. This is a state aid, regional aid um, concept and, and policies that have been in place for a number of years, uh, really revamped, modernized them uh, to where we are today in 2014, uh, and then have continued in these recent rules are set to expire in 2022. Um, I think one of the elements to keep an eye on is, is certainly Brexit um, uh, and that what uh, is um, as that uh, continues to discuss. So we do have the certainty in the sense that the UK is leaving Europe. We know that now, but we don't necessarily know what you know, some of the economic um, uh, realm will be of that, what the trade rules with some of these others. And, and this is a piece of that too, hard versus soft. Um, and the Brexit that is also to be uh, discussed. You know, will we see more free ports, more free enterprise, more enterprise on things along those lines that have been deployed over the years in the UK? Um, you know, will we see more of that because perhaps you know they're less of this kind of tied to the state aid type of rules? So that's certainly something to to keep your eye on. But it is it is amazing, and a lot of individuals think um, you know there's a common misconception that incentives are not available in Europe uh, for industrial office, you know, so many of the, the traditional projects, but um, uh, in fact there are, and it's sometimes, and um, you know, the, the incentive overall uh, incentive value can be higher than what you would see in, uh, in the competitiveness of, of the U.S. Okay, very interesting. So that's Europe. What about Asia? What's the incentive environment uh, like there? Yeah, so Asia, Asia can be very competitive when it comes to incentives as well. Um, many of these, again, you're, you see, and, and we're seeing more and more on the targeted side, so targeting specific industries and sectors. We're seeing a, a very interesting shift to a lot of ways that, um, that the different countries, the different investment approach agencies are, are utilizing these and, and the industries that they're targeting. Um, you know, you're seeing perhaps in some markets less on the manufacturing and more on the services like a, a China or Vietnam as, as economies shift and, and um, sectors and, and trends change. Um, you're also seeing, you know, in certain areas, uh, business process outsourcing in greater Manila, you know, less, less incentives that are specifically going to your more traditional BPO and, you know, more trying to go to, to higher skills, you know, higher wage type activities. Um, so that's fascinating. And, and, and coming back to that, most of you know the programs themselves are delivered or approved at a at a national level from the country and the, the national government. But you are seeing it more and more at the local level. We also see a very high um, a use of zones and parks as you're studying these geographical um, pre-designated areas where you know to drive specific investment. Many times it's an industry type of manufacturing or tech or services and really trying to target investment into that. And it could be tax credits, abatements, customs, uh, duties, tariffs, release like that, that we're seeing across. Now, one market in particular to watch closely as it goes forward is, is in India and how some of those programs that they've had in place and the schemes um, over the past couple of decades, how they've continued to evolve um, and really targeting with some very, very robust um, economic um, uh, targets that they have. Uh, and how they're going to leverage and currently leveraging, but but into the, the coming this coming year, uh, leverage those specific to those uh, smartphone uh, manufacturing as an example. You know something that they're exponentially trying to grow um, in country in India and bring a lot of that from China from from North Asia 
um, yeah, it, that'll be very fascinating to watch uh, as far as that works when it comes to incentives and how they leverage programs to, you know, really try to spur that particular industry. Okay. Now, back to the United States, we're hearing a lot of buzz around opportunity zones. Can you share a little bit about opportunity zones and our companies actually leveraging that program? We hear a lot about opportunity zones in our uh, throughout our community. Um, uh, throughout real estate, you know, it is buzzwords created by the 2017 uh, tax cut legislation, and it's uh, here in the U.S. And, and really what it does, it's, it's similar in a lot of fashion to the new market tax credit program, which has been um, on the books for a number of years now. And, it, and it's, a, it's a, a way to get certain investors to invest into low-income, you know, pre-designated areas, um, you know, to spur economic development and investment. Um, again, we could have a whole other podcast on how um, – how the functionality of it works and, and you know, how the tax credits and the timing and, and when you need to keep your investment versus you know, um, divesting it, um, and how that value works. But, but ultimately what it is, it's, it's the target economic development that's spurred in certain parts of this country. Uh, those areas were, were originally designated by the uh, by respective governors, legislature, but at the state level, and then ultimately the, uh, the federal government uh, approved and set those out. Now those are all set. We're still a couple years on. We're still working through some of the regulations, um, and, uh, and there's still clarity. It hasn't. Um, we we don't have a whole lot of success stories um, across the country yet of it being leveraged, uh, especially by some of our uh, you know, the, within our core net community of, of traditional end users um, and occupiers. But I think we're getting close to it. Um, as mentioned at the outset, one of the things we're very, watching very closely is at the state and community local level where they're leveraging um, their own incentives. Um, state programs, uh, in New Mexico as an example of through their uh, leader program, a discretionary local economic development um, assistance program, where if you invest and, and hit certain thresholds at, um, uh, for projects in these different opportunity zones, then you, know, you can leverage those. So even if you know maybe some of the federal opportunity isn't fully there through the zone um, and through this program, you know, there are other state and local because these are areas that have been pre-designated. But the governor has said this is where we want to see economic development investment. Um, you know, are, are putting these in place. West Virginia has passed a law that um, any investment into these pre-designated opportunity zones could be eligible, could basically wipe all state and local tax. Um, liability off if investing in these. Uh -huh. um, Maryland seeing it in, in a number of other states as well, and I think this is a trend we'll continue to see. Because not every company is going to be able to have, you know, it, to utilize or, or leverage the opportunities on program as it exists. Or they're just not going to have the time to do it. Or the, it, it, It's complex. It, it takes, you know, a number of different, and it's not all, you know, there are some cost elements to to getting it done and completed and, and legal pieces and the tax elements of it. Um, and so you're going to see, but these are still areas where they want investment, where local communities, where the states have, have identified. And so I think you're going to see more and more of these um, targeted incentives within these zones. Okay, great. Well, we'll keep our eye on the whole story about opportunity zones then. 
And now, David, as we conclude, here's my, my last question. Incentives programs tend to be about money, about dollars and cents, but I understand that sometimes they can have to do with technical support instead. Uh, can you shed any light on that? So, yeah, it's a, it's a great question and a great point, something that is, is often overlooked uh, when it comes to um, incentives. And, and it, because it, it, it's the partnership, and, and you know, I, I'll come back to that. Um, it's a lot of different elements where technical resources and uh, you know, local support that can be leveraged through the same process and, and through this partnership. Um, many times in our, our clients, especially entering a community for the first time, it, they're entering a community for the first time. So they don't necessarily, you know, not aware of every, uh, you know, all even say it's part of a school program or, or the fire department, but it's also even about hiring. Um, you know, we'll find many uh, economic development, workforce development board partners uh, will put on job fairs, will help with application um, uptakes and, and um, pre-screening. It's those different elements that, you know, maybe you don't necessarily put a full dollar and cents to, even though there are ways to, to certainly um, to value what these can be, especially the cost of adding a new resource or you know, some of the elements that a company may have to put on, um, but just ways that they can help with the community. Get the jobs out. Get the get the um, word that this company is is coming in and making those investments to to put in place. But you know, another element that um, you know outside the job site or you know, say an infrastructure, where you know maybe perhaps the um, the partnership it, it's not you know it's not a check that goes into the pocket or or a tax credit uh, reduce liability. It is a um, it might be just overall support in, in local infrastructure. The the Florida Job Growth Grant uh, Fund Program, um, you know, is one that it's it's more community driven. Um, you know, the the state, uh, well, the, the local community, county, whatever uh, the entity might be, and, and usually a consortium, will work to um, together to secure you know, funds, a grant from the state that uh, from the state of Florida that will go to infrastructure. And and most of some of the infrastructure is not for one particular project or one company. It's about building out a park or, you know, building a right away or a wastewater you know, treatment set, whatever, a lot of different ways that it can be used. Um, and that what you might be working for, looking for as a company, you know, to also support the community and support that in the long run. And, and I think there's a number of these if you're a small business, you know, maybe even helping um, or you're coming in, you're a sales rep or a startup, you know, it's even free office space, incubator space. Um, you know, to help connect or to, to connect individuals, um, you know, to the community and, um, you know, other other kind of business development aspects where, you know, often is, again, is overlooked, um, you know, instead of just focusing on, on dollars and cents uh, in the space. Okay, fantastic. Well, this has been great, David. We really appreciate your talking with Cornet Global and sharing these insights about incentives. We appreciate it very much. Thank you, Tim, and, and we truly appreciate the time. And uh, and you know it's it's exciting for us to to participate and, and continue to participate in overall thought leadership and and with uh, with Cornet Global. And uh, and just want to thank you again. Mm, the pleasure is ours. Thank you very much. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.